0: What a blessing it is to live in a place in a land where the beauty of God is captured, not in just one expression or in one way, but in many ways that are different at some points and yet unified in the beauty and the glory of a God who cares about his creation and who is ever linked with them to guide them, to direct them, to care about them to lead them. So, today, you know, this will be my last chance to preach in January, so I've got to make the most of it, right? Because missions are taking front and center stage the next two weeks. So, I have a question for you. And I think it arises in a strange way out of this passage. You know, there's so many sermons that are preached from this passage that are all about... Uh, the different kinds of gifts, the variety of gifts, the, the common good. And indeed, I'm going to mention that again before it's all over. But really and truly, I think behind this passage is another idea that comes forth in one of those kind of verses that we often read in the context of which it appears in a particular place in Scripture. And we just kind of skim over it because it doesn't really seem to jump out at us within that context as being the major focus of that point. I find a lot of Uh, my inspiration from Scripture that way, I guess because I've been doing this a long time now, and the regular, the normally spoken things sometimes just aren't the things that I notice. Looking at this Scripture, I particularly hone in on verse 2. First of all, though, let's don't forget, yeah, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, now concerning, every time Paul says those words in Scripture, he's referring back to some interchange with the church that he's dealing with at this particular time. And this on this occasion, it has to do with spiritual gifts. I do not want you to be unaware. You know, it hasn't been that terribly long ago when I preached about the subject of spiritual gifts and promised that we would be doing a class on that this coming spring, and indeed we will. It'll probably be somewhere around the middle of February when we kick in that first group to meet. But it's that second verse that just has caused me to take a step back. You know that when you were pagans, that means those who do not believe in Jesus as a Christ, you were led astray to the mute idols. You were led astray to the mute idols. Idols idols of stone and wood for them. Idols that were supposed to be gods in themselves. And yet these idols could never speak, not with the voice of God, because they were, after all, only stone and wood, right? And then he says this little crazy phrase after that, however you were led. You were led astray however you were led. You know that one of the realities of life is this very thing that each of us are led astray to worship in a sense, without ever calling it that, idols that is particular to who we are. Some things that are very enticing to a group of us who are gathered here this morning, if we could group us all in similar characteristics, would not in any way entice someone else. I have never been enticed by alcohol, so I never drink. Yay for me. I mean, if you're not enticed by something, your refusal of it in the name of spiritual maturity is kind of a joke, right? Well, I've never been led to alcohol for a simple reason. It smells bad, and I never could get past the smell. It never made sense to me to drink what smelled bad. And you say, well, it's not the sermon, don't worry. It's just an aside. <laughs> so that never became my idol. I was never particularly led astray by the smell of English peas. <laughs> I don't know why people eat any of them. And have you noticed that they sometimes just throw them in for color and food? And at least that way I can't taste them, but I just don't like the taste of English peas. Now, the smell and the sight of hot apple pie <laughs> with ice cream melting down the sides. Listen, I am enticed by that. I am more than enticed than enticed by that. I am often unable, no, really unwilling to say no because I know the odds are that apple pie is not going to kill me. Now, my wife is thinking, yeah, but the way you eat it, and the quantity you eat it might eventually, yes, but that piece won't. <laughs> piece by piece and hunk by hunk, yes, it's dangerous. But the other night I stopped after a perfectly good meal. We and Sally and I had eaten dinner together. We were in opposite cars for different reasons, and she got home wondering where I was, and we were right around the corner from Baskin something, they make cold, wet, sweet stuff, and it's way overpriced, and I know that. But I went in, and there's two little cartons came out with me, and Sally so I would say, you're, you're going downhill, but so far, I have not opened either of those two cartons. Did I take anything else home from that store? That's another sermon. But they're there just waiting for that moment when I need just what they offer. And it's really not my fault. It has to do with what they advertise on commercial. And I'm sure my mother's at fault somehow, although we've rarely had ice cream. But that's another story. You see where I'm going with this? All of you who are led astray, according to what leads you astray, it's not the fact that you get there by your own way that's important. It's the fact that you end up astray. Satan rarely tempts us with what he knows we can say no to. Satan tempts us with things that seem on the outside to be good and acceptable, but behind the scenes, they're not. They're bad for us, and he knows that. So today, I want to talk about what is tempting our society today and our world, and especially our young adults and our children and our youth. I want to talk about what has allured them, to places that are bad for them. And I'm going to get a lot of resistance. So for all of you who are young today and not on vacation, I'm sorry you're here this morning, sort of, uh, and you're going to think I'm looking at this all wrong, and that's okay. You are young and free just like the children, and you're free to make bad choices. I'm only here to point them out for you. So what I want to talk about for you, and while per- the older adults were getting more comfortable in their seats after they I felt like I was heading that direction. I want to talk to the older adults too and everyone in between because I want you to do what the children did. I want you to put your hands together. I want you to pretend you have your life in your hands because you do. Now, I want to tell you what every older adult, those who are of us who are maturing, knows We only have one life to spend, and we're never quite sure when that life will be over. We've lived long enough to know that for some people, it ends tragically and suddenly. For others, it ends tragically after many, many, many years, long since they last knew what was going on on the earth. We know that in between that, there's what we call normal life, if there is such a thing. But we all know that we all were born, and we all know that we're all going to die. The question is, how are you going to spend your life? You saw me ask the children what they did this morning with their life. Because you see, days go by and hours go by, but it, neither, neither of them can be brought back. You have spent them, and they are gone. They're like your paycheck. You get it, and the part of it that you spend is gone. The part of it that you save is you can use another time, but your life, you can't save it. You can't store up for yourself hours and decide to use them later. Wouldn't that be special if we had a life bank that we could deposit? You know, I'm kind of tired of that. I don't want to redo really anything, so I want to deposit uh, 16 of my hours in my life bank, and I'm going to sleep the other eight hours. Well, you just, but you can't do that with life, can you? It's one thing, it's there, it's yours, and it's yours to spend. And after you make decisions about how you're going to spend it, you can never make that decision to, again to spend it at that particular hour, that particular day, again in your life, it's gone. Now, we spend our lives in relation to our vocations, our chosen field of work. We still spend our lives seeking pleasure and enjoyment. We spend our lives in relationships. We spend our lives hopefully cultivating our health. We spend our lives, hopefully, as the Spirit leads us. I think behind this passage is the idea that the idol that we most are serving these days is this idea of time. This idea that we worship time that we have and we worship the privilege of spending it any way we want to, sometimes to excess. And in the thrill and excitement of using our life, we sometimes forget that we're dwindling a lot of it away. A common chide I get from people is when they ask me about something, and they're looking at me very purposeful, and I am looking at them with a kind of a glazed look over my face, they then say, those dreaded words that I hate to hear because some people are slow to learn. Those words are this. You haven't read by email, have you? <laughs> you? You're not on Facebook? What? You didn't know? No, I'm not on Facebook. And no, I'm not going to be on Facebook. And you say, why? Because Facebook is a time eater. That makes the mistake of appearing like it is a real relationship with other people, but it's not. It is an exchange of ideas about what happened to you that I was never present for and never can be. I'm glad you want to celebrate it and share it, but some people are living in the trap of all the things that have been made for us that are supposed to be saving us time. And the result is we don't have much time left. There's a concept for it that was in an article written in the Harvard Business Review by a young lady. Uh, I guess she was a young lady. She was thinking like an older lady, I should probably say. Let's see, what was her name? Let me get to it over here. It's a term coined. uh, I don't think the term was coined about her. She was speaking about it. Elizabeth Saunders where she asked this question. Are you proud of how you are spending your time? Are you trading what is most important for what is most urgent? Are you answering email instead of listening to your children at home? Are you allowing them to bury their faces in those little boxes to the point where that's the most exciting thing in their life? The temptation is huge because, you know, if you let them bury themselves in those boxes, then you get to do what you want to do. Maybe watch sports on TV. Maybe spend a little time with your spouse. Maybe sit down and write a letter. Oh, no, that's right. We don't really do that anymore, do we? We open another little box and type out a few misspelled words. You know, you don't have to write Y-O-U anymore. You just write I I don't write and. I just write in. When I'm on that little box, all these things that save us time. You know, you don't even have, I grew up having to pump my own gas. I still have to do that now, but you know, that takes my time. I could be answering email in the car if somebody would just pump my gas, but they don't do that anymore. How many things are robbing you of time that are supposed to be things that are helping you in your world today? How much time do you spend answering email? Now, people are going to tell me, especially the young ones, don't you understand that email's important? Yeah, I understand that. The important emails are important. You don't know how much important email is important? Now, some of you are wondering, are you talking about the emails I send you? You'll never know. <laughs> because I'm smarter than that. If I get the opportunity, I'll open your email when I'm sitting somewhere and can't go anywhere else. If it didn't say business or it didn't have a subject that was about work, however, I may have to wait until I can get to it because I might want to do something more important with my time than think about whatever it was that interested you that day. And some people have a lot of time to write emails. Some of you are saying you're going to get fired if you don't start reading your emails. I've considered that possibility, and I'm willing to risk it. Because I do read them, and I'm actually caught up now for the most part for uh, almost a whole month. I won't tell you how many I'm behind on other months. I've looked at them, but have I read them closely? You have no idea how much time that would take me. And it's just not the most important thing on my agenda. Right now, the most important thing on my agenda is listening to the Spirit. as The Spirit guides us forward into 2016 in regard to a myriad of issues that we face as a congregation. Yesterday I went and was introduced to a congregation in Fort Worth that I'm going to be serving as their mentor for the coming next year. And you might say, you're doing what? You don't have time for that. I went in and sat to a perfectly group of lovely people And a congregation that averages 190 in worship, has about 450 members, and their whole board, about 35 of them, were sitting around in a room for their for in, beginning of the year training. There was one high school girl, were three or four people who were maybe 40-ish, 50-ish. There's a nursery that they never use because there are no babies or young children in their church. And they are about a mile from Highway 121, the tollway that runs right through Hearst. And I went and asked myself, as I was sitting there looking at that room. They said, we want to grow. We want to attract young people. And he said, say something to them, Doug, and introduce yourself and what you're here to do. And I said, well, I'm here to help you do the things you really don't want to do. And they looked at me like, oh, no, he's saying the same thing our pastor is saying. (laughs) Yeah. The church of today has got to learn to do things in ways they don't always want to do them. If they want to reach the generations that are saying no to the church. And one of the things that's key to all of that is this very passage. Because, you see, what people are searching for is, are spiritual people who will speak to them about things of the Spirit and live out what they're saying. They don't care too much about theology. They don't care too much about the name on your church door. What they care about is when you tell them that, you, that God Jesus called us to love others, And that you love everybody. They want to see if your actions match up to your words at work, at school, in your neighborhood meetings, when you go to church. When we sing, God, you are so wonderful, do we mean it? Or is it just words we say? Is it a religious ritual that does not affect the way we behave? Are our actions parallel to who we say we are? They're guessing a lot of times, and they're guessing that the answer to that is no, because they have two or three bad examples of Christians misbehaving. Well, wonderful. You know, I've got hundreds of examples of Christians who are behaving well. But it's the ones where we slip that they remember, right? That's the ones that calls them, makes them call the church hypocrites. There's only one way to avoid being a hypocrite, by the way, and it has to do with this chapter. We must receive from the Spirit the gifts of the Spirit, and then we must live with the gifts of the Spirit operating in between us in relationships that we have the opportunity to make and to form at every moment of our life. All the work we do as a church can't happen simply when we come together on Sundays or Wednesday nights. That's us. We're mostly the called-out ones, the saved ones. That's good. But what are you doing and how are you spending the rest of your life that are all those other hours? You say, well, preacher, I'm going to work. I know. And not many people, most people are not as fortunate as I am. I get to live out my vocation and my calling and my spiritual life and get paid for it. You say, well, wouldn't that be a good deal? Well, yeah, it is uh, most of the time. (laughs) Some of the time it's a challenge, however. But it is... A possibility. There are many people who have vocations and jobs that feed them that allow them to do things they like to do that also nurtures their spirit and allows them to pass on what they've received from God to others, just like the song says. I want to stay close to you. It's really that simple. I want to stay close to you. The words on that second song were priceless in the beginning. God has given us a gift, and we get to spend it, and the preacher can't tell you how to spend it. We can preach about it, but in the end, you have to choose how you're going to spend your day. You're going to spend your day propped up on the couch because you need rest, then you should prop up. Or if you don't have to have that much rest and a grandchild is close by, maybe not your grandchild, child, but a next-door child who's throwing the ball against the wall with no one to play catch with because they're a single parent, then if you're able to get up off that couch and you have some energy left, how are you going to spend it? How are you going to show you love that little child? I don't care if you know their parents. You don't have to know the parents if the child is a certain age. And I know otherwise they'll run off and say, stranger danger, stranger danger. I know. We've taught them well. Don't be a stranger. Be wise. Be wise. Use the gift of wisdom that God has given you and use who you are and the spiritual gifts you've been given to reach out to people and flesh to flesh make contact that builds relationships that makes you Believable. Anybody can tap on Facebook that I'm a Christian. Big deal. I want to see it in the flesh. I want to see it lived out. And I'm a believer. Think what non-believers believe about us. They believe the movies, for goodness sakes. (sighs) They believe we're caricatures of people. They believe we think we're better than everybody else. I'm quite clear I'm not better than most other folks. You know, I tell my wife all the time I'm smarter than she is, but that's a different subject, different sermon. We'll look at that on Mother's Day, maybe. (laughs) I know, maybe Father's Day, right? Okay, yes. The reality is, though, these gifts of the Spirit that God has given us are ours to use, and we get the opportunity to spend them. But if our life is always concerned with the money we make and how we can make more, or with a project that's all about us and not someone else, then it's going to be hard to convince anybody else that we really love others as much as we love ourselves, right? You say, is that a rhetorical question? Not in your hearts, I hope. You see, the difference is when God calls us and gifts us with spiritual gifts, he usually makes available to us the opportunity to use them if we are aware of what those gifts are and if we're listening to God in prayer and talking to God often enough to hear God lead us. Because life is so precious. We usually find ways to combine a number of things. Like I combine pleasure and I combine rest and relaxation by playing golf. Sometimes that means I have to get out of the cart and not listen to the people who are talking to me. Because I'm trying to relax. Sometimes it means I'm so absorbed I don't have to do anything. But just soak it all in. My health coach keeps calling me and saying, how are we doing on our goals? And I said, oh. We're consistent. (laughs) I'm about where I was last three months ago when you called me. And she said Friday or Thursday in her most annoying voice, she said, well, why aren't you exercising? And I said, because I like to sleep. And she said, well, why don't you go to bed earlier? And I said, because I work late and I'm too wound up to sleep. And she says, well, why don't you do something so that you can get some exercise, no matter how small it is. And I said, we have this conversation regularly. Don't you know I'm a hardworking pastor? You're talking to pastors all the time. She was relentless. I really wanted her to hang up. I almost did. But I made myself listen. And she says, you surely can carve out some minutes to get started, and then you can build on it. With more days or longer time? I said, it sounds so sensible. And I said, you're right. And it all boils down to simply one thing, doesn't it? It just, I'm too making other choices, poor though they may be in regard to my health. I usually convince myself that the idols I'm following, oh, I mean, the things I'm doing are really important. So important that they're more important than my health, which they're not, The difference is when our spirit and our calling join together, it changes our lives. Here's a few current examples from your midst. Today you have a handout, Hope Women's Center. Karen Bruce is sold out to ministering to young women and sharing the gifts that the Spirit has given her to convince them to make good choices when they have an unplanned pregnancy and are considering abortion. Now, she, like me, is fortunate that that calling and her passion became a vocation. They actually pay her to do that now. I don't know why they do. She'd do it for free. I've considered calling them, but then I thought she might call the SPRC, so I didn't do that. She would do it because she is sold out on this thing about abortion. And then there's Susan Clark who's a member of the Texas Right to Life and every year participates in a walk where they walk to earn money to fight the same thing, two expressions with similar goals in mind but different tactics along the way as the Spirit has led each group. You see, the difference it makes when your passion fuels your spiritual gifts and you use them outside the boundaries of the church in a way that's powerful and, as the Scripture says, for the common good people don't need to have abortions carelessly or thoughtlessly they don't need to be trapped where it's the only realistic choice they can make shelters like hope give them opportunities to see life in a different way so that before they make a a decision that can't be changed they have the chance to learn that there is hope in the situation in which they're living have you registered to vote if you haven't, it's because you haven't run into Camille Johnson. <laughs> because God told Camille to tell us that Christians can change the world, but they can't do it unless they vote. And you can't vote unless you're registered. And if you don't register, you're a bad Christian and a, and a bad uh, member of society as well. You know what? Quite simply, she's right. She is. Somebody, I told somebody to share with somebody that, their important person in life convinced and then they had to register he says why do I want to register they're all crooks I said you have to vote for the least crooked one <laughs> I didn't say you'd get perfect you got to vote for the least crooked one but not voting not voting oh my gosh not voting in a you could live at a place where you couldn't vote And if you think crooked is bad here, and it is, you ought to go somewhere where it's really crooked, where the wealthy are not just a 1% of the group, but they're one-tenth of 1%, and they're about one person's extended family. You ought to try that on for size if you think we're bad here. And don't get me wrong. We're bad here. I get it. But you have to register to vote. You have to. It is her passion. It is what God told her to do, so she uses her spiritual gifts and the time that she has to encourage you to do what she believes is important for all of us. Today is, is MLK weekend. It's a holiday weekend, Mondays that day. MLK did not just so believe in the rights of persons of color, he gave his life for it. And as a pastor a preacher he used his gifts of calling and oratory, the study he had done about God, to try to bring about peace between the races. No, he did not succeed, but he moved us forward in an important way. Mother Teresa gave her life for the poor, and not just the barely poor, not for the poor in America, but for the poor who were digging in cr- trash cans all their life to live. Their passion, their giftedness, and their calling all came together to cause them to take action in the world in which they live for the common good. Spiritual gifts are not just for you. They are not just for this congregation, and they are not just for Christians. They are for the common good of the people of this world. And if you choose not to use them, I choose not to use mine, then shame on us. You say, well, how long do I have to use them? Nobody knows. I know people are waiting to teach their children the Bible till they have time to learn to read the Bible. And that's going to be some, somewhere about five years before their retirement. Well, that's sweet, kind of useless, kind of meaningless. You said, but preacher, didn't I ask you about that? And I explained to you I don't have time to study the Bible. Your excuse was kind of useless. It was kind of meaningless. And it contributes to the downfall of your children that you have not found time to learn the Scriptures to teach to your children. And some of you saying, didn't we have that conversation? I can honestly say I can't remember you if we did, but I can honestly say I had that conversation kind of often. I don't have time to use my spiritual gifts. I'm busy making more money. I'm busy doing something else that's more important. And maybe you are. I don't know. But are you sure that you are? Are you sure you're spending your life the way you want to? Because guess what? It is a limited quantity of value that you possess. And nobody knows when that time is up. And you say, well, preacher, you're kind of ragging on us. Well, I'm supposed to be through preaching right now. I'm, I'm right at that point. I've been all over this sermon in no order of which it has here. But on this sanctity of life, just let me say this. Life is sacred. Yours, mine, every unborn child who's been conceived, every child that's living in your home, They are the only them that the world will ever know. if you parents struggle your way into not having any time to give your children and your youth, then the rest of us have to struggle some way to make time for your children and youth because they are hungry for a spiritual adult to talk with them about the difficulties of this world. And if we don't help them learn to make good choices, we are as guilty, and out of fact, I would say, more guilty than they are when they make poor ones. This passage points us in this way when it speaks about idols and our desire to follow them. Somebody came up to me this past week and said, are you going to say anything Sunday about your call to us to be at prayer? And this person said, because I just want to share with you that you know what's really working for me. I'm really doing it. She said, I, I set in my phone an alarm to go off every day to remind me to pray the Lord's Prayer and to, and to pray through it. And she says, You know, all of life is taking on a larger, more sacred meaning for me just from this one little exercise every day. Now, I could be tacky, couldn't I? I could say, How many of you want to take hold of this card to remind you? Some of you are reminded by cards. We're trying to wipe away your excuses. Here it is to help you search your heart and your mind. For yourself and for your calling and for the direction of this church and for others around you who are yearning for a Christian who is genuinely living out a spirit led life, to lovingly confide in them in a way that they can hear it the wondrous message that God loves them in Jesus Christ. If you're not making any time to do that, you could set your alarm, and I could ask how many of you. I had already set my alarm like she had, but I, I feel so much smarter since she did it too now. That makes two of us have set our alarm every day at 1130. Actually, I set it at 1230, and I set an hour alarm to go off before it. So it gives me two shots to hear the alarm go off and to pay attention. And it's at the top of my little calendar every day in my phone. I can't miss it. I may have to delay it, or I may have to wait, or I may have to say it silently while I'm with someone else but it's there because you see the search is on and the future of this church is at stake. I don't want to be a part of the cause of what I went to see yesterday in another congregation. I am so challenged by their situation and I've seen it so many times before. Loving, well-meaning people who never made the time to search for the ways that they could reach people who think differently than they do because it would cause them to be a little uncomfortable with the world they'd created for themselves. Change is hard. I know it's hard. But if we don't change the way we act as Christians, the number of people who call Jesus Lord and Savior is going to continue to dwindle, and the greater population is going to Consider the church irrelevant. It won't mean that Christianity will fade away. It will not. It will be replaced. Uh, Not Christianity replaced, but the, the expression of the church is we know it will be replaced if we don't respond. We have to be ready to spend our money not on ourselves, but on ways that will call others and make known to others the ways of God. It's a journey. Some of you are going to be planning ways in which all of us can do it together. You're going to be hearing from me in the next week or so, asking if you're willing to undertake the next 18 months as a church to work on that project. I may even choose to enlarge the committee we're working with. I don't know. I haven't decided yet. But that committee of 20 to 25 plus the staff is going to have many different task forces going to be calling others to come. You know what I would like? I would like to call people and ask them to serve, and I'd like to hear them say one of two things. I'd like for them to say, Pastor, I've been searching my heart and for what God is calling me to do, and I have a sense of it, and I was hoping you would call me. What is it you have me to do? Because I have a mind and a sense of what the Spirit is urging me to do. Boy, can we have a conversation then. Or I'd like for them to say, Pastor, you called and asked me to do this, and you know what? That's not what God's been telling me. I will shout just as loud when they say, I've been searching my heart and that's not where God is calling me. Now, yes, I'm going to say, where is God calling you? Where is the search working in your life? Tell me about it. Maybe it's starting something at work. Maybe it's doing something in your neighborhood. Maybe it's doing something entirely that has nothing to do with the organized church. I hope so in many cases because that's where the church has got to go. We're about to leave those doors and go where God is calling us if we are ready, spirit-equipped, and aware of what God has already given us, if we're sensitive in searching for God's call, God's people will come to us who are not yet followers of Christ. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that is the most simple answer and the continuous answer. But you know what it requires us to do? It requires us to change our ways of living, our pattern of life, because we get ingrown. We hang out with each other. We go to places where other Christians go, and we don't often go where Christians aren't. When's the last time, without a grandchild involved, you went to a little league game or sport? You know, where you watch them rolling uncontrollably? You watch them running into things and into each other? They don't know the rules. They don't know where they're going. But you see parents there all the time, and many of them are never darkening the door of the church. What impact would it have on them if somebody just volunteered to coach in their little league just like they had for their own children when they were young? What impact would it have on them if they were to see you there just like they are sweating in the hot sun or shivering in the cold because you're supporting your neighborhood soccer team or whoever it is you want to go and support? What would it mean if you met somebody there you could invite to church or to a dessert function at your house where you're inviting several people just to get together? And then they'll say, "Uh uh-oh, what do you want to talk about? you going to tell us about Jesus? Not the first time. We won't tell them that. Probably not the second or the third time. But if they just come and you make a friend with them, pretty soon they're going to want to know why you are the way you are. And if they don't, you need to make an appointment with one of your pastors because they're not seeing any difference in you than in themselves. I really need to quit, and you really need to go home. This is about... Could be 10 sermons pretty easily. I think you've gotten the point. Are you proud of how you're spending your time? How you're spending your life? Can you make changes to what you're doing to be of greater use by the kingdom for the common good of others? Are you trading what's really important for the urgent that perhaps is not nearly so important? Spiritual gifts are expressed in people, flesh to flesh, face to face. Yes, I know that you can witness online, but it's just not nearly as effective in converted lives as person to person. Let us continue our search. God is speaking, and the world is waiting. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege of being given a mind to think, to reflect, that allows us to make choices in our lives. We thank you that you are such a great God, that you are willing to risk our bad choices by giving us the gift of choice. We know, Lord, you've been patient with our church in the last 30 years. And we thank you for your patience. We know that you're calling us into frontiers that we have no idea where they are, that it will be a combination of mistaken choices and good choices. But we know you're calling us forward to take risky choices, to reach an unsaved world, a world that is saying no to the organized church. In huge numbers. Help us, Lord, in our searching to encourage us and to coax us, to badger us, and just shout at us if we're not willing to leave behind those things that simply comfort us. Those things that seem urgent, but are so unimportant in the scope of the kingdom you came to build. If there are those Lord who want to join this morning let them come forward as we sing our closing hymn or let them meet us in the room if they just want to gather there and take the hands of those who are there who want to be a formal part of this church let them who are here Lord who might not even know your name at this point or who you are convince them Lord let your spirit call them forth to be brave to make a decision for you for this is my prayer And it's all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen. Please stand.